Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Yeah. Hey, everybody. What a great show that was, Benny. What a great show. Yeah. I mean, this is really... For me, this is one of those times in this career here, um, host of the Dr. Pat show, but also created Transformation Network and Transformation Talk Radio. And I've had a lot of time this year to reflect. And one of the things, you know, we were talking about before the, before coming on live was Benny getting a little bit of cabin fever. You know, the weather's changing, things are changing. And we had an expectation And what I love is that when we think about those expectations, we think about them, a large part of what we think about and a large part of the conversation has to do with work. Almost every kind of theoretical aspect about expectations, and most of you know, I studied the consequences of broken promises, psychological contracts for 12 years. And I will tell you that the the mystery is to understand, right, um, what the heck is going on that taps into our brain space, our heart space, our head space, our body space. But is it because we're not focusing? Are we being divided? You know, one of the things that, um, you know, that I claimed about myself is I can be extremely focused, extremely focused. Like if you've ever seen me do a task, it's like I am in it. I'm like right there. I'm like so focused. I'm like right there. Focus, focus, focus. The other side of me is I'm the person that to get through a graduate and a doctorate program, I did it by my iPod, the television, music, watching television and anything else. So I had to have three or four things to study with, to study by. And some people say there's a name for that, but here's what's going on today in the world. This is not just a sidebar conversation. This is not like when the, when the the judge says, come to the bench and they have a little chit chat. We're talking about attention. And here's what I know about attention. When I launched Crust Busting like almost 20 years ago, when I launched that, one of the first rules of Crust Busting wasn't awareness. It was attention. And yet, fast forward to where we are today, the rules of attention are not optional anymore. They're not the kinds of things that we can get through our day as sort of a luxury and a caveat. And joining me today 
the 12 rules of attention, how to avoid screw ups, free up headspace, do more and be more at work with Dr. Joseph Cardillo. Now, why is Dr. Cardillo talking about this? Because it needs to be addressed. You know, how is it that somebody can go through their day, go from point A to point B, and yet messes up? How does that happen? Well, I'm not going to answer it, but in this fabulous book, Dr. Cardillo talks about these 12 rules, and you will be shocked when you hear what they are. Dr. Cardillo, thank you for joining me here today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Look at this. If this is not, I think, one of the most pivotal conversations to have right now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is. And now let's let, let's heighten this now by saying workplace, right? At home oh, yeah. work. And now kids that are having to study at home. What got <laughs> yeah. you so jazzed about this? What did you see that most of us missed? Well, you know, the, the thing is, is when I, when I started all this, when I started all this research, I, you know, the world as it is today wasn't even, you know, wasn't even in my imagination. It's kind of kind of interesting. Here we are. And, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, we're, you know, attention and focus are really a big thing. Um, Because, you know, as as you as you so said that, that, you know, everything has changed abruptly. Uh, There's all kinds of uh, all kinds of, of, of distraction going on. Everything from you know, like we talked about, from cabin fever to, you know, kids being, you know, in school, out of school, not knowing where they're going to be in the fall. You know, all this stuff that's going on now with, with employment and, and, and people, you know, just trying to, trying to make good and, and, and stay good. Uh, so attention really is, is in focus has become a big thing. And, and I think that the, the, the one uh, piece that I'd like to add to that is that it is such a big thing because it's behind everything that we think, feel, and do all day long. Uh, your attention is behind that somewhere. So your, your brain's attention system really uh, determines how well your day goes, what you do, how successful you are, and how you navigate through the day. And, and with all the other disturbances that we've all gone through lately, you know, you know it's you know, how much more important could it really get? (laughs) And I think you make a really good point in your book, though. And boy, I'm excited about this book, because out of the gate, I don't remember exactly where I read it in the book. But I think it was towards the beginning of the book, you really point to a paradigm that has been implanted about uh, why scientists believe, uh, or what they give cause to for our attentional decline. And so you talk about that in a way in a way that says, well, wait a minute, this is what scientists have been saying. And then you go on to say uh, that is so far from the truth. Unbelievable. Right. So let's yeah. talk about that, because it's really important. First of all, if scientists have said this is why we're having the problem. And by the way, that's not true. Then we've been trying to solve something that doesn't have a strong foundation of belief to begin with. Well, I think so. I think so because, you know, I, I did I did a major piece of attention research about 
uh, almost 15 years ago now. Uh, mm. and, 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 uh, and, and then probably a good, you know, 12, 12 years later, I, I realized, I said, you know, as a society, we're kind of still there. What's going on? And I took yeah. another look at it and I said, well, you know, um, for the last decade, at least, you know, technology is being blamed for everything, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. um, you know, and, you know, particularly cell phones, you know, and other other electronic devices and, and our use of those devices is, is being blamed for a lot of uh, distraction and a lot of um, a lot of, uh, you know, the uh, attention starved uh, uh, work that we do. Um, and, and, and then the consequences thereof. So, you know, I, I looked at that and I said, well, but, you know, it, it really, you know, maybe for children and, and I have, I have absolutely no gripe with, with that. I mean, I, I you know, I, I agree with, with, with everybody regarding, you know, the research right. on children, uh, right. but, but with adults, you know, and I'm looking at this and I'm saying, you know, there's something way more organic going on uh that is affecting our ability to focus and to pay attention to things that are important and 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 so why is that important it's important because you know we're we're producing over 650 billion dollars worth of error at the workplace 82 percent of people who work are are disappointed and feel that 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 their best talents are not only uh, overlooked at the workplace, but are unknown at the workplace. Um, okay. And so there's a lot of dissatisfaction with employment and so on. But my real concern beyond that, my real concern and perhaps bigger concern, uh, is the person himself or herself and in our development uh, as, as adults and as people uh, you know, trying to make the most of ourselves. And, and, it, and, it, and if we're not making attentive choices in our lives, then what is making our choice for us? You know, and, and, and so you can think of, well, this is what I chose to major in when I went to college. This is where I chose to live. This is who I chose to marry. These are all choices that are guided by the attention system. You know, and, and, and you know, we have a you know, hundreds and thousands, really, of choices that we make that are important to us. And we want to, you know, we want to make at least the important ones, the most important choices in our lives attentively. You know, and what you do in the book, too, uh, Dr. Cardillo, what you do in the book is you give some brilliant examples. And what I mean by that is, I mean, I could put myself in any one of or, or another of these examples i mean whether it's talking about you know the dude whose meeting got changed or uh, anybody else in this book we can put, we could say yeah that happened to me too that's what i did too right i could remember yeah. oh yeah i didn't mean for it to be a screw up <laughs> uh but no uh and so the stories are, are not they're not all the same. I just want to say this. The stories are interestingly different and yet they reflect uh, a similarity in what their outcome is. 
you know, whether you're referencing in your book uh, an engineer, an artificial intelligence engineer, engineer, or somebody else, um, there's something at the core of this. But are you are you saying, if I might ask, are are you saying that perhaps this emphasis on technology is not the real issue? Yes. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what I thought um, you were saying. That's because what, what saying. a refreshing I, what a refreshing proposition. <laughs> yeah, that that's what I'm saying. You know, and and uh and and there's a much more organic issue. And you know, it, it in a in a way, you know, it, you know, you look at you look at the the flub ups that we all have we, you know, we have fun talking about them afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> After we do. We've done this, I have a, I have blooper reel. Who hasn't gone to the store? Who hasn't yeah. gone to the store to buy one specific item? After work, I'm going to get this. And you go to the store, you buy up everything else except for that one item. And then when you're half the way home, you remember, oh, my God, goodness, that's what I, that's what I went to the store to get, and you didn't get it. Um, or, or going out to a parking lot and, and yeah. actually approached a car that's not even your own and and you know you're all set to get into it, <laughs> but it's not your uh, car. Can I just so share a quick story with you? Yeah. What color do you yeah. think my SUV is? Yours? I live in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Most of the cars in the Pacific Northwest. My observation, Benny. I don't know. You can fact check me on this. White, gray. Dark brown, dark. Most most of the cars here on the street. I yeah, that's because we need to hide the dirt and the rain. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> my car, my car, and this is my second SUV. I lease. I lease my car. My second one, and I said to everybody, I have got. To, I said you got to get me the same car. It's got to be what they call monarch monarch orange. It is candy apple orange. I'm not kidding. And. <laughs> And, you know, one of the reasons is I literally don't want to have to play find the car. (laughs) So it's so funny you brought that up. But you also pointed out something important. Yeah. So, you know, and and so we we so many people can can relate. You know, if you're human, you can relate to these things (laughs) because we we do them. And and, and, and one of the reasons for this is that our is that the way we're wired is that if we're not paying attention, then our mind is going to do it for us, except it's going to do it the way it thinks we want to choose and the way it thinks we want to choose and the way we actually may want to choose comes out different in, in, in some cases and, and, and sometimes in, in important cases it comes out differently. So I want to talk with you about the let's just talk about this and set the stage for um you know what 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 you beautifully have written as the 12 rules of attention one of the things that you talk about is you say your brain loves repetition and is built to pay attention to it yes i read that and i thought oh my gosh yes yes it is um and yet at the same time, it's one of the greatest, I believe, um, challenges is an understatement we have. One of the greatest challenges I think we have, not only in the workplace, but in our everyday lives. 
you know, mm-hmm. so tell us about this, because this, I think, is the basis of the book and what you're going and the journey you're going to take us on. Right. Yes. And, you know, and in, in, in that particular rule, I encourage people to talk to their brains. Yeah. You know, and there's a little tongue in cheek there, but yeah. you know, I encourage people to talk to their brains. And so, you know, the, the question would be, well, you know, what language does my brain speak? Well, you know, you could use words and so on, but, but brains, brains love patterns. They love, they love rhythms and patterns, particularly that repeat themselves, because then once you start repeating something, your brain gets the idea, this is the way you want to do it. And if it's a behavior, then it gets the idea that this is the way you want to behave in a certain situation. I mean, it can be anything. It could be, you know, if you start repeating getting up at a certain time every day, then after a while, you don't have to set the alarm clock because you kind of wake up automatically. You know, and people might wonder, what's that about? Well, that, that's your mind waking you up because it recognizes the pattern. And not only that, but it sets you up biologically so that you can wake up in the, in the, in the, you know, to do what it is. Like if you're going to jog, it'll wake you up ready to do that. Um, and if you're going to do something else, it'll wake you up ready to do that. But the brain loves patterns. And so if, if you're sending it a pattern, a behavioral pattern, it's going to recognize that and think that that's the way you want to behave. And it's a really easy way to program your own mind. Um, you know, one of the reasons that you ever hear something you and, and and then you can't remember it by the time you yeah. get home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you wish you you wish you'd written it down, but you can't because you try. You know, one of the reasons that we don't remember it is because we don't have a pattern of trying to remember it. So if you tried to remember it a few times on the way home, your chances of recalling it would be you know way higher. Your brain would get the idea, oh, you want to remember that, so I'll put it into a deeper memory. So brains love patterns. Anything that you that you really, if you want to pre-program your behavior, then visualize the behavior that you that you want, and and visualize it randomly several times, you know, before the behavior actually occurs in real life, and your brain will get the idea that that's the way you want to uh, engage in that in that certain situation. And when it comes up, you will. And you know, so much of this that you've written in the book, and I want to go over what the 12 rules are, if we could, and then we'll pick a couple. Um, The thing that I was interested in is how in throughout the book, you ask us to read these questions and answer them immediately. And I find that that exercise was fascinating. Um, you, you know, and I just want to say this, I want to go over these 12 rules. Let's just, let's just go through them for people. And then I want to pick a couple of them because one of the things I'm known for is I learned about 30 years ago, I learned the repetition of a statement to stop my brain. And so it, it really is something I learned where I say, thank you, spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, universe. Thank you 70 times. Right. Mm -hmm. And after a while, it wasn't 70 times. So I was given that assignment to say 70 times a day for 70 days and just say it. After a while, I lost count. And now my mind is programmed to just do that, to shift emotional energy for me. 
but I never thought about the implication of that. Can we take a minute and, and let's just run through what the 12 rules are. And then I want to go back and pinpoint a couple of them, you know, as you see them in today's world. Tell us about some of these. I know we just talked about, do you speak my language? Um, but let's talk about some of the others, right? What's number two? Well, uh, rule number two, um, and, and I, I tried to set this up so it would be really nice and easy <laughs> for people. You know, you just go right, you take one rule a week, one rule a day, however you want to do it. Uh, rule number two was that awareness, mindfulness, and attention are not the same thing. Right. And that, <laughs> you know, and that, that, that is, is instrumental in, in trying to improve our focus and improve our decision-making and improve this, this, this brain network that we've been saying really does, um, really, really is responsible for the thoughts we have, the actions we engage in, and the, think, the things we feel throughout the day and the way our experiences turn out. So awareness, mindfulness, and attention, when, when you start to use them individually and start then to, to combine them so that they empower each other, so I can empower my mindfulness uh, with, with my awareness, and then I can take those, those two uh, concepts and use them to empower my focus and attention even more. But they don't, they don't necessarily mean the same thing. So I, I wanted to really dig in. Those, those words have become so popular, they're, they're almost dinner table words. Um, mindfulness is just used all day long by, by so many disciplines. Um, and, and so I wanted to really define it um, in, in a way that people could you know, get something out of it and use it immediately. Yeah. But one of the things you do say is, and this was the punchline for me, uh, you talk about integrating all three mind wearers on the job. Yeah. And I don't oh, think, I don't think we're, I don't think we are taught it. I don't think we're trained it. And I think that the, the idea of doing it is brilliant, but you made a point oh, that that's, that's yes. like the key. Yeah. And you know, there's a thing that there, there's a, there's a concept I refer to, and it's more than a concept. Yeah. It's, you know, we're, we're wired for this. Uh, but but I'll call it a concept here. We'll call it Um, Mm pre-awareness. And so I really, you know, I I worked hard to make those three uh, brain machines very usable and user-friendly to readers. Um, And if you can, you can use your awareness. Like, for example, you know, if you're driving down, down the inter, down a highway and, and there's a hairpin turn that's going to be coming up. Um, you can be aware that that turn is going to be coming up in a mile or so, but you know you don't have to be paying attention to it, you know, the whole time that you're approaching. And in fact, you can't pay attention mm-hmm. to it the whole time that you're you're approaching it. But if you're aware of it ahead of time, and I'll call that a pre-awareness. So if you right. saw a sign that lets you know there's a hairpin turn coming up in about a mile, when it right. does come up, all the little details that you need to pay attention to, your, your focus machinery not only will go to those details, but it'll stick to them longer. And that's the key. In, in a normal situation, you might have missed some of those details and definitely would not have 
quote-unquote, paid attention to each of the details for the same amount of time. So awareness affects attention. So if somebody says, make yourself aware of that, awareness affects attention. You, you don't even have to think about it again. But when those details come up, you will all automatically go to them and automatically stick to them longer. So they'll help your decision-making. Um, mindfulness, it, you know, I, I defined it in the book as an energy. You know, we like to use the word mindfulness uh, synonymously with the word presence. And that's yeah. good because, that gives, you know, people get the idea that, you know, I'm in the moment. But you can be in the moment and still not be paying attention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, and that, that really is a ha, a ha point. Because we do, if we understood mindfulness the way you're talking about it, I think it's the missing link in so many ways. Yeah, and and I got a a really easy way to to understand it. Mindfulness is the energy of presence. So, Mm -hmm. you know, most of us have cell phones, and on our cell phone we have flashlights. And and there's there's a little switch that we can slide up or down on our cell phone and it's, it's an icon and we can slide it upward and, and make the light brighter. And that's the way I like to think of mindfulness. It's an energy. So you're present, but your mindfulness is able to adjust so that you can take the lamp and, and, and make it brighter and brighter and brighter. So it's, it's not just that you're in the moment, but that you're making a particular part of that moment or even the whole moment much more intense and much, like high definition and and in the book um, you know it, it very simply I mean it might it might sound complicated but it isn't very simply you could just take a sentence out of the book and make that sentence more pronounced or stand out more than the other sentences in the in the paragraph it's that easy Yeah. And, you know, part of this, though, too, is, I mean, you know, it brings us to the next part, right? I mean, you know, as we are are familiar, and we understand this rule, that that piece you just talked about, right? That piece right there is the reasons why we're spending or we're spending 70 to 80% of our time in meetings that people walk out of and don't know what what went on that's right they were don't, there don't, don't know what went on yeah yeah they were there yeah. they were present <laughs> no <laughs> and and this this is what happens and then they come back and their boss says or uh, their co-worker says and says oh great brief me on the meeting and the answer is yeah we had a great meeting and joe bought donuts and yeah i think we're gonna move the deadline out but i'm not 100 percent sure right but yeah. there we go. Yeah. Now that information gets transferred. Now that information is also incorrect. And you know, look, earlier you and I were touching upon, you ever walk out in the parking lot and you can't find your car? That's one thing. But I've watched a very, very expensive software developed by the phone company miss a deadline and miss a release. And that particular thing probably could have been if they'd have brought you in and they'd have talked to you about where's release number 15 and why. And and you have to know this. 
deadlines like this in a phone company where software is every system on the planet is counting mm -hmm. on a particular software to do something right even in today's world there's software mm -hmm. to generate the way you and i are communicating today if you miss a release that every every distributor on the planet was that's a big deal but if you miss the release because of what you're pointing out in your book, those are the kinds of errors, mistakes that are happening every day in today's workplace. And, it, and I wanna talk to you about this when it comes back because it's not just a mistake. This kind of dynamic causes both psychological, behavioral, uh, self-worth, self-esteem. Oh yeah. I mean, Absolutely. this is a ripple effect that if we took this seriously, we could make a whole different case to have a great life. Let me take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking, uh, as I said before, we're going to be talking with my very special guest today about the 12 rules of attention. Um, and we're going to be talking with Dr. Joseph Cadillo about them. Before we go to break, what's the best way for people to find about you, the books, all of your books, actually? Well, the, the book and, and all of my books are on Amazon right now, the, uh, you know, the 12 Rules of Attention. And, um, and uh, you could go to Amazon, but you could go to my website, which connects you to everything, um, and that is uh, www.josephcardillo.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics to talk about, zombies. Let's take a short break, everybody. That's rule number three. Let's take a short break, Benny. We'll be right back. Are you meeting your sales goals? Or maybe your business plan could use a dose of the divine. Tune in to Divinely Driven Results with faith-based business coach Elise Smith on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Coach Elise Smith helps listeners get unstuck from their business plateau and become empowered through divine guidance. Build up belief in yourself and your dreams and learn business strategies that work for you for real lasting results. Learn more by visiting www. DivinelyDrivenResults.com. Are you ready to invest in your best self? Join Sabrina Wright as she shares practical tools for creating joy and balance in your life every single day. Sabrina is here to help you become your greatest advocate and empower you to make decisions that will help you learn to live your best life. Live the good life, connecting your physical and spiritual self with Sabrina Wright every second Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. What would you do with the power of community? How do you create your own rituals? Tune in to Living Your Gifts with me, Susan Huff, Ancient Applications for Modern Times, the second Wednesday of each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Our lives begin with the stories we are told and the stories we tell ourselves. Storytelling is the key. To learn more about me, visit livingyourgifts.com. That's livingyourgifts.com. Sometimes being human has its challenges. Our physical health falters, our spirits sag, our dreams don't immediately come to fruition. Welcome to the power of Maximum Medicine Radio. Join me, Doc Martin, in conversations that will blow your mind about healing. In our hit show, Doc Martin addresses the scientific with bridging to the mystical approaches to give you a new narrative about maximum medicine. 
In this live call-in show, we will journey into the extraordinary genius of the human body and talk about other beliefs that impact being your multidimensional self. We seek the seen and the unseen and explore the earthbound and the otherworldly, all with the purpose of calling forth the maximum you. To learn more about Doc Martin and Maximum Medicine, visit www.SharonMartinMD.com. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Dr. Joseph Cadillo is joining me here today. And basically, you can go to his website, Joseph Cadillo, and that's C-A-R-D-I-L-L-O. And not only are you going to find information about what he's doing, what he's up to, but there's a ton of articles here. He's also the author of Body Intelligence, How to Harness Your Body's Energies. There's a lot here. But this book in particular caught my attention again. Um, and, you know, the thing I want to get back to and I want to add, I, I want to ask you this question about is, you know, I'm reading your book and a light bulb goes on for me, uh, Dr. Cardillo, and it's like, wow, this is it. So we are spending a lot of time, energy and money on trying to remedy a solution that we see as the problem which may not be the problem and more time, more energy, more money is going into it because we're not getting the outcome we need to get people to pay more attention and to focus. And one of the questions that nobody's asking is, Hey, maybe that's not the problem. (laughs) Um, But, you know, part of this has to do with the way you outline um, in the book, these 12 rules. Before the break, I was talking about zombies, the good and bad zombies. And you talk about how to renovate your minds, um, renovate your minds, uh, automizations, right? And stay on the top of your game. Now, I play a sport and I play a sport. One of the fastest racket sports there is. I think badminton, somebody said, is faster. But I play that sport and I know that if I get to this part in your book and I do a self-check and I ask myself some of the questions you ask, it will determine whether I have a good practice, a poor practice, or a great practice because one of the components you point out is missing. But this particular thing here, the top of your game, I got to tell you, this is tricky. Because when people are told to act or do a certain way to remedy the problem that may not be the problem, nobody's at the top of their game. What are you seeing? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 the and the thing the thing that's gotta gotta really get through you is is all the all the human effort that we put into that we put into it, you know, and and say, oh, you know, you've got to rectify this, and and then we stay with it, and in this case, for over a decade. You know, and, 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 you know, you want to, people genuinely want to get on top of their game, you know, and, and if it's not working, you know, you know, they, why, <laughs> you know, why is that not working? And, you know, I guess my answer to that is, is that, you know, there's more organic reasons like, you know, like the zombies that, you know, that we all carry around inside our head and, you know, we, you know, kid around with that in the book, but, but these are, these are what are automatic behaviors. Yeah. And remember, like, you know, in, in the book, you can see how this, you can really, you can really start to understand. I try to lay it out as you go from rule one to two to three, 
so that you can really start to understand the brain's language and so on. And once the brain, the, the brain understands your patterns, it sets up automatic patterns. So it makes those patterns automatic. And it's constantly, it's constantly updating those patterns as well. So, you know, if you're a musician, for example, and you play a piano melody and you like it and you play it a couple of times like that, well, then you, you'll remember it. You'll start to play it like that all the time. But if suddenly you play it a little bit better one time and then you go and play, try to play that like that again, you might not. But if you repeat that pattern a few times, you will. You'll start to incorporate the new link that's in there that you liked better. And so your brain's constantly updating as well, and it's making the pattern automatic. And what happens is we forget about the automatic patterns that are in our head. <laughs> yeah. That's another operational print. We forget about all these, these automatic patterns that we've created or, and I get into this in the book, it, it's probably too much for a, a quick discussion here, but I, I, I get into how these patterns can be developed from other ways. Like if we're not paying attention, then other people, other beliefs, um, other ways of doing things can affect our ability to make automatic patterns. And now things are triggering that aren't even our own uh, decisions, aren't even our own actions, but they're triggering and we're acting them out and we're doing it mostly unconsciously, very, very fast. The science of it is within milliseconds. So you really, you know, without, without fleshing them out for yourself and taking a look at what automatic patterns are going off in my head, then, then 96% of our day is triggered by automatic patterns. And, you know, it sounds like a lot, but if anybody really stops to think about it, you know, just consider how many things do we really stop and go over in our head throughout the day as we're doing them. If you ride a bicycle, I mean, do you really, who, who thinks, you know, of all the, the, the you know, the, the different mechanics of riding a bicycle? You just get on it and you do it. Yeah. You know, one of the things I just want to clarify what we're talking about here, because for me, this uh, there are other rules in the book and, and we'll get to a couple of them here today. But I want to say this. When I got to this section, I had to read it three times. <laughs> I went back and I had to read your good and bad zombies three times, because one of the things that we confuse is uh automizations, automatizations, automatizations, right? What you're saying, automatic, that automatic thing, right? Yeah. And multitasking. It is, it is the thing that, that we get confused with. And by the way, we get in trouble for, right? That's right. Why are you multitasking? I gave you an example at the top. And as a matter of fact, it is one of the things I do and uh, which got me classified on one of the spectrums. And I'm talking about one of the um, aut autism spectrums, right? And, mm -hmm. and so now we know a lot better, but I am that kind of person that I have to have certain things going to be at my most creative. And I'll tell you what the problem was for me is growing up and my parents would turn off the TV or turn everything down. They turn everything off, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I couldn't function like that. 
or I would hum and I would sing, or I just talked about this on the last show, I would tap incessantly, right? Um, but your example uh, here of these behavioral responses, these automatic things, I think it is one of the greatest misconceptions we have where we bucket everybody into the multitasking bucket and then we say you're bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, think, think because, because these, and, and again, it's 96% of what we do throughout the day. That's huge. That, that gives us about 4% of what we do that's, that's in, our, in our focus. You know, and everything else is just kind of happening automatically. We're just kind of droning around and doing it, um, which is fine because, you know, a lot of what we do, we're content with, and it's okay. Um, but then, you know, every once in a while, something doesn't work out, and, you know, and, and, and somebody's wondering why. And, you know, and so one of the things, one of the things that I encourage in the book is to trace, trace your footprints and, mm-hmm. and see if you can figure out why. You know, what, what, what changed? What happened in that situation? And, and if you have another situation where you acted similarly and, and things turned out well, that, that's a jewel. Because then you can compare the two situations and look at the one and say, okay, I did the same thing there and it worked. And I did the same thing here, and it didn't work. How come? And just look but, for the the details that are different. Mm-hmm. Well, you reference uh, Sully. <laughs> well, you reference Sully, Captain Sullenberger, and oh you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a perfect example, right? Of watching <clears throat> yes. somebody that, and they tried to. Do, they showed in the movie the flight simulators, the whole thing. Beautiful, but his yeah. lifetime experience, the behavioral aspect of what had come before in his life is what helped him touch down beautifully. And you make a point of that here. Yeah. And, and Captain Sullenberger is, is the pilot uh, who who landed the aircraft on the Hudson river. And, um, and, you know, some people may remember that. Um, I I think most people (laughs) will remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and he, he outlines many times when he tells his stories in his books and, 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 and movie and, and everywhere, you know, the, the particulars of his life, you know, how many hours he spent, you know, as a pilot and, 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 and how he was perfect for that particular situation. All the things that he did, the, the behavioral pattern, uh, set him up to act the way he did at that particular moment. It was, you know, a lot of it uh, was just, you know, just automatic brilliance. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, there, there's examples of that all over the place. You know, um, the subway hero, I, I don't know if you remember that. That's going back a bit. But the subway yeah. hero, you know, when you know, yeah. He, 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 yeah, he threw himself under the subway car right. to rescue somebody who had fallen down there and, and, and lift him up out of there. Um, and, you know, when, when he was asked later on, how did you do that? You know, he explained the little incidents in his life that had prepared him to do such a thing, you know, where measurement was a really important skill for him. And he understood measurement, how much space it would take to get under it. But, but it all happened in a millisecond. His mind just triggered it all in a millisecond. Of course, 
if we've got the wrong things triggering us, then we have the reverse problem. You right. know, we have problems where people freak out, for example, and, you know, I, I hate to mention it, but fire, fire weapons and so on, and people get yeah. hurt, you know, as a result, because they somebody was scared and was positive something was going awry, and the next thing you know, a you know, firearms been fired. But you know that that is something that you know in, in my in my research, um, I really addressed that this, and it's one of the offshoots that you think about it. Let's just talk about our lives yeah. for a minute because this is what your book really does. You know, we go through life, we pick things up along the way. Some things are going to come back to us in flashback or trigger. So whatever that language is that we've developed here in psychology, whatever that is, right, it comes back. Sometimes when it comes back and it's not good, it's post-traumatic. But sometimes mm-hmm. things from our past come back and we automatically turn left to avoid something that we literally can't see actually happen, but had a sense of it from some, some level of something. Um, and, you know, we find this in athletes a lot. And, you know, when I think about some of the other rules you have, right, especially, you know, when we're taking a look at what people call information overload, but you talk about the fact that, look, we're not going to be able to retain everything. And so That's squashing right. information, I love that term. You know, it's not that you're not paying attention or it's not that you don't remember. I get all the time. I'm telling you, Linda will say to me all the time, you know, hey, don't you remember da da da? And I'm like, no, I don't. And, you know, I thought about this. I was reading your book. Is there a reason I'm not remembering that detail? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because I've got 1,600 other details that are relevant to what I'm doing, like this show right now. And so mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, I dropped that one out. That one's gone. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you talk about it as not a good thing or a bad thing, but you talk about it, focus, execute, clear, and repeat. I mean, you're talking about us using some level of my language, automatic discernment and information that comes in because if Mm -hmm. we're allowing everything to come in and the stuff that's coming in are not going to be getting us to completing the goal we want then what are we doing that's right and and, you know we we, we've got we've got a couple of choices which i which i point out in the book. i mean we're all we're inundated you know that's why it's kind of it's kind of funny when i think about you know all the uh, you know all the um all the discussion about you know cell phones and so on, um, because we've been inundated with with distraction you know throughout our entire human history, uh, we're inundated with with information overflow. We're wired to take care of it, uh, and we can't pay attention to it all. But we, you know, there's something organic. We we have to we have to do something in order to to, to use that kind of discretion, uh, and so so. There, you know, so that you have a choice, really. You know, when there's all kinds of of, uh, of of overload, and the overload could be environmental. I mean, there could just be distractors in your environment, and I talk about that in the book. Um, but there, it could also be internals. It could it could be a memory that you just can't get rid of, or it could be an, an annoying uh, emotional uh, reaction to something that just keeps coming back and invading 
whatever it is that you're trying to do at the moment. And you, you have a choice. There's a couple of ways of dealing with it. One of the ways uh, that you can deal with it, and I, and I discuss the choices in the book, but the, the, two, um, the, the two most, uh, I, I think, efficient ways to deal with it are, one, that you can, you can try to eliminate it, just inhibit it, and tell yourself that this is irrelevant information. Um, and if you tell yourself it's irrelevant enough, you can inhibit how much attention you'll pay to that. And if you do it in random situations or in consistent situations even, then each time you inhibit it, it becomes easier to inhibit. It weakens, and then it goes away. So if you have a particular emotion that keeps invading you um, in a particular place or in a particular situation or in a particular piece of work that you're doing, the more times you inhibit it, the weaker it will get, and it will eventually weaken enough to go away. The, the other way that you can deal with it is to squash it and just kind of put it out of your mind, but, but not for good. So you're telling yourself maybe, you know, uh, all right, so I'm try- I've got a financial issue here that I want to think about, and it's bothering me because I'm in the middle of working on a grant. Then, then you can tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to give myself all of Saturday afternoon to work on that financial issue. And, and in the meantime, I'm going to be working on this grant now. So you can squash that information for now, put it out of your mind, give yourself permission to work on it at another time or to look at it again later. And, and that's up to you when you want to look at it. Maybe you'll tell yourself, I'll look at it again, you know, when I'm, when I'm ready to. But it's up to you to determine the, the length of time. So those two, those two operations are, are useful. When you inhibit something, you have to watch out, because if you inhibit it and make the information go away, if you're successful in making it go away, you know, you might need that information again. <laughs> so, well, yeah. So I, I talk mean, about that in the, I talk about that in the, in the book. You know, I talk yeah. about, you know, deciding, you know, do I, do I want to come back to this information again, or do I want to, you know, just try to wipe it out? Yeah, I mean, look, when I take all of these 12 that you have put in a book, <laughs> and if you put them in to a frame of reference for yourself as you read them, there are a couple of things that they reveal for me, and a couple of answers that they provide me with. And what I loved about them is, like, for, for some people, they're being told, this is wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're not going to be able to focus. And we hear that a lot. I mean, the language is strong. Um, and it happens. Let me give a specific example. Um, and I, I, I know probably listeners are like, oh, my God, is she going to talk about ping pong again? So I, I work with a coach. <laughs> I mean, you know, I played the sport competitively, but ask any athlete, football, basketball, soccer, tennis, you know, talk to them about what they do. They don't all say the same thing. But my friend said to me one day, Pat, I know you well enough to know maybe you're, you're, you're just too focused on trying to correct your stroke. Why don't you start? This was like a lot of years ago. He said, why don't you try to listen to music when you're playing, when you're literally doing your drills? And so about a month ago, well, actually before COVID-19, I'm in, the, I'm, I'm in the, the place where my coach is playing a sport and I'm on the robot. 
these are things that help you practice, right? And I have got my iPod on. I cannot hear a single thing. I can't even hear the ball drop. And that's like a no-no in this sport. But I am warming up and my coach comes over to me and taps me on the shoulder. And he says something like, what's happening to you? I mean, like half Korean and half English, right? He's asking me. And I looked at him to say, he says, what did you, what's happened? What did you do? So what, what happened was he's observing me play with a particular song of music, one song that I play with. And so I'm practicing to this song and the rhythm of it in an extraordinary way to him. Because then he says to me, you never practice like that when we're practicing together. And this has been the story of my life. But you talk about sound in your book. And I think it is really key because we often say to our children or others around us, take that thing out of your ear. And we don't quite mm-hmm. understand the dynamic of it. No, we don't. And, and, and it's an incredible dynamic. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of the languages that, that our brain understands is sound. And, and, and it's so much fun to, to explore that. And, and I talk about that a little bit in the book, too, uh, that, that, well, sound is, is, is a major attentional guide for, for, for all brains, you know, not just the human brain, but all creatures. Right. Brains. You know, sound is major, but for humans, you know, we, we have sound built into every cell of our body, you know, from, from the first cell, you know, right. to, to, to when we're fully constructed, you know, everything has listened. You know, we listen to our mother's heartbeat, the sound of the placenta, the, the you know, the, 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 um, the all kinds of you know, the, the, the sound of the umbilical cord and mm. so on. We, we've listened, you know, we're programmed with rhythm. And so rhythm is a major influencer. Um, the other nice thing about sound, and it doesn't matter if it's natural sound or music, the other nice thing about it is, is that it, sound is, is, one of the, is, is one of the only things that permeates the entire brain. And so any information that the sound carries, it carries it to every part of your brain. So that's wow. kind of neat and, wow. and makes it powerful, very powerful influencer, which is why we recall. You can hear just a, just a couple of notes of music, and, and, and it'll... And, and you can identify a whole song that you heard exactly. 20 years ago. I know. You know, it's like sin. I know. Well, look, thank you for joining me here today. Also, I just love the book. I love your message. It really is transformative. Um, and, you know, for for people that are really trying to figure this out, Doc, I'm telling you, you really broke it down into simple terms. I'm not saying easy but simple. Thank you for today. Would you let folks know one more time how they can find out more about you and get a copy of the book? And thank you. Yes. And thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Um, you can find out more about me and my book at www.josephcardillo.com. And that's C-A-R-D-I-L-L-O. Yeah. And by the way, everyone, we didn't get to everything in his book. I just want to say that um, there's enough here for you to read. But I'll tell you what, this is going to fill in the blanks for you, whether you have children or not, whether you're trying to figure this out for yourself or not, or 
if you are wanting to improve your performance in any aspect of your life. 